So today we're going to be talking Dungeons and Dragons. Name a popular endgame monster that gets underutilized by DMs. It's right in the title, dragons. Absolutely. They don't get used well enough, do they? No, not at all. So I think today we should do something about that. Yeah, we should probably talk about it. Let's talk dragon tactics. All right, we're talking dragon tactics. Hello, welcome to Game Master Studio, where we'll be talking tabletop role-playing games, tips and tricks to help you bring your game at home up to the next level. My name's Jerry, a.k.a. Frieden. And I'm Jared, a.k.a. DMF. Today, we're talking dragon tactics. Dragons are a great set piece, they're a wonderful antagonist, and they're a great endgame monster to really challenge your party. The problem is, a lot of DMs see a bunch of numbers, they see a big beast, and just throw it at their party without really thinking and putting detail into it. Dragons are highly intelligent, very resourceful creatures that can send an entire party from perfect health, top of the world, into an introduction to what total party kill looks like, but only if they're used right. So today, we're going to talk about what you can do to help bring your dragons up to the level that they kind of deserve. So, dragon tactics. People don't use them. They don't use them appropriately. Let's start. What would be the main thing to utilize if you really want your dragons to be a threat, to make the party really worried? Where's the first place that you go? Flyby. I mean, that's the first place that I go. I think that most DM, or maybe not most, but a lot of DMs that I've seen, they tend to throw their dragons straight into melee they land them, first mistake, and they just start beating up the party with all their physical attacks. They're just a, a giant with wings. I think that the first thing that you should be thinking when you think dragon is fly-by breath weapons. You fly yep. over the party, you do your fire breath, your acid breath, your cold breath, whatever it is, you fly back. You know, you roll, if you're doing 5th edition, roll your recharges whenever your breath weapon's back again. All of a sudden, you know, two, three, five rounds later, boom, dragon's flying back over the party, breath weapon again. And just fly by attacks. You know, you can destroy a whole party without them ever being in melee range. You know, so I mean, it, which is another reason why dragons are a high-end, you know, creature. You know, they're they're a high tier. You know, you shouldn't be fighting them at lower levels. Unless, I mean, if it's a wormling or whatever, that's a different story. But for the adult and ancient dragons, you should, you know what you're doing. You should be able to handle or, you know, a flying creature or be able to get, uh, you know, fly up there and deal with them and go toe-to-toe. -to -toe, do something about their fly-by breath weapons. I mean, really, a built-in breath weapon plus fight, it's like throwing a fighter jet into a medieval situation. Yeah. It's really hard for players to contest with that. Yeah, it's very true. I mean, you're going to be, you're, you're all of a sudden, your rangers or your range attacks, you know, uh, characters and your, your wizards are going to be your, your dominant damage dealers against the dragon. And that's assuming that the, you know, the range, uh, you know, the bow user, whoever, has a magical weapon to get past some, you know, damage resistance that they have. And that the wizard has something prepared that the dragon's not immune to. And that's, again, assuming that they are within the how, the range of whatever the dragon's flying by at. I think almost their wet breath weapons are in like the 120-ish foot range. So, I mean, you got to be within, you got to be able to reach that 120-foot range that they're flying by at. I mean, you're looking at uh, bows and... Crossbows, but thrown weapons aren't going to affect yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Short-range yeah. spells aren't. No, not at all. Yeah, you need long-range weapons. You need long-range spells. So, um, I also think that the the flyby attack is an excellent excellent set piece yeah. for DMs to use. 
Um, they actually utilized this in a recent episode of Game of Thrones. If you watch it, I actually don't, but still, it was impressive enough that I saw it online so many times. You know, the dragon doing the flyover the city and just blasting things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's also a great bit to throw in to your uh, to your games as the PCs, maybe watching from the walls of the castle or somewhere on the battlefield, and the dragon strays a different area. Mm-hmm. doesn't even affect the PCs at all. He just goes and just wipes out a division of allied troops. And now you have your PCs going, oh, crap, we need to deal with the thing that just did that. Yeah. I mean, again, it's it's a freaking dragon. Like, what? Like, I feel like I don't need to say anything else, but yet at the same time, like, I clearly need to because I've seen it I'm just abused and misused so many times. Dropping down to the uh, Rodney Dangerfield of D&D. Yeah, they get no respect. Yeah, they, they get no respect. Uh, I mean, I think that there's a lot of DMs and GMs out there that uh, like the concept of dragons and love to use dragons, but they just don't use them properly. So, I mean, which is the whole point of today's episode. But they just, I've seen them just fall down from the sky for no reason never even using a breath weapon, not even like on their descent or their initial flyby. They fly over the party, they land, and they start just clawing and biting and maybe smacking someone with a wing or a tail. And that's about it. Like they're just this giant beat stick. And like, what's the point? Like they're this powerful, magical creature and they have so many things at their disposal. Like say all of a sudden they, you take flight and breath weapon out of the situation. They still have so much going for them. Yeah, and we're going to be talking about that. Um, they have... Because we, we come up with a list of all sorts of advantages they have. Uh, next one we've got on the list, we've got minions. Right, yeah. I mean, how many... Like, a, there's whole books dedicated to dragon cults. Yeah, I mean, on its own, a dragon is impressive. You know, it's a powerful single challenge. But a crafty DM, that, that dragon isn't existing in the world on its own. No. It's attracted followers, or it's brought in enough money to be able to hire mercenaries, or it has lizardmen and kobolds that are worshipping it as a physical god and willing to be the fanatics and die for its cause. Yeah. You know, if a, if a party goes from the end of a long rest to fighting a dragon without having to ever face anything else in between, it almost feels like the DM's doing it wrong. Yeah, I mean, there's always going to be situations where, you know, it's a solitary dragon or it just wants to be left alone or it's, you know, maybe it's nearing the end of its life, you know, natural life, and it just doesn't want to have a lot of disturbance or noise around. But, yeah, you're atypical, especially if you're using a dragon as your big bad guy or as the the climax to your adventure piece in a mid- or high-level game. Yeah, they're going to have hirelings, they're going to have minions, they're going to have devout followers, or there'll be dragon cultists, you know, there might be a whole religion built around this dragon, you know, this whole clan of kobolds that pray to it every day, and, you know, thank you for letting us live another day. I think even the most antisocial dragon is going to at least have second thoughts when, you know, the cult shows up, oh, let us worship you, no, go away, we brought you lots of gold, well, let's come in and talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they're going to be giving tribute to it. So the dragon has a reason to keep them around in addition to being, you know, the fact that a minion is a comfortable place to stop an arrow. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be hard for the solitary dragon to say, you know, no, I don't want your gold or no, whatever you do, don't keep other people away from me. You know, so, yeah, I mean, that's it's it's an easy argument to say that there's a lot of minions. Uh, again, like uh, dragon cults, you know, kobolds, those are easy things to throw out there. You mentioned... Uh, you know, hiring with all the money they have. Now, I mean, right. if you want to play the, the greedy dragon that doesn't want to spend any gold, 
Sure, fine, but they can still, you know, if you guys don't help me, then I'm going to burn your whole family down to the ground. Okay, sure, fine. Oh, sorry. Yeah, we'll help. You know, the nearby village, if anyone, if you ever allow any adventurers to come and bother me, I will take this place down to ashes. There will be nothing left of this entire town. So now all of a sudden you have a whole town that's, I wouldn't call it evil, but you have a whole town trying to thwart any adventurer that is trying to pass through to head towards the dragon's lair. I mean, that might also just be a case of, of then the townsfolk put the burden on the adventurers. Well, if you attack that dragon, he's going to come back here and slaughter my family. No, I don't want you to go. Yeah. And when the players realize that, they're now going to have that dilemma. Because if we can't do this 100% perfect, it's those farmers that are going to pay the price for our failure, which is a great way to put a moral dilemma on good flavored characters. Yeah. So you have that, you know, like lots of different ways you can flavor up the minions, lots of different options there. Uh, then we get into the magic. Well, actually... This kind of blends in with magic, but it's also with minions. Mm -hmm. Is you also have to realize when you're talking dragon cults, you're very likely going to be led by high priests. Right. Priests are going to have magic. Mm -hmm. So you're going to have a variety of powerful characters. You know, even a kobold cult can have some very powerful magic users in mm -hmm. there. And you can also use that as a DM, as part of a tiered storyline, with the dragon being the ultimate bad guy. But you start by having to deal with these low level cultists build up through the cult. As the players increase in level, they're facing more and more challenges with the ultimate pinnacle of the campaign being we need to take out that dragon. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. So, um, but yes, the magic. Mm -hmm. um, dragons should have access to quite a bit of magic if you want to uh, expand on that topic a bit. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I don't know what additions of Dungeons and Dragons you might play or if you just play an alternate system and use dragons still. Uh, in previous editions of Dungeons, Dungeons and Dragons, dragons have had a lot more innate magic and natural spellcasting abilities. Fifth edition, that's kind of swept away for the most part. They're described as very magical creatures, but yet they don't have any magic actually on their stat card. Don't you still have the option, though, of adding class levels? Yes, you can always add class levels, and you're, you're the DM, you can do whatever you want. I particularly yeah. believe that all dragons are magical creatures, and I kind of like the concept of 3.5 where their CR rating basically equated their like source natural sorcerer level. You know what I mean? Especially in 5th edition where like there's a whole dragon bloodline based on the fact that like I have a little bit of dragon blood in me so I can cast magic. Well, dragons have a lot of dragon blood in them. Yeah. <laughs> so, you can always just flavor that up like okay, well if it's a CR 13 copper dragon, it's also the equivalent of a 13th level sorcerer, which may be a little bit powerful. Um but, you know, one, you can, this is scaling your dragon up and down to meet your party. Um, but two, you also have the option of saying, okay, this is a very powerful bronze dragon. I'm going to pick three or four spells that are very thematic and give him access to cast those once or twice per day. Right, yeah. I mean, you don't have to give them the full uh, weight of the 13th level sorcerer class. You can just give, you know, say, okay, well, if they're 13th level, they have access up to 7th level spells. And I'm going to go through and pick and choose this handful of spells that I would like them to have access to. It's just an easy way for you to kind of like add some mechanics to it without having to like, well, how much power do I give them? Um, but even if you don't give them, you know, stat or uh, class levels or, you know, you just want to give them a couple spells. I mean, again, you're the GM. Do whatever you want. You know, give them some spells. Just, you know, but again, they're, they're considered to be very magical creatures. But if you take the whole innate spellcasting or adding class levels thing aside... They're still treasure hoarders. They're going to have access to some magic items. There's no way that they've amassed the equivalent of being a billionaire 
you know, maybe even a quadrillion billion billionaire, you know, <laughs> uh, they're going to have some magic items in their treasury. And that's probably a, a good plot line for a lot of adventurers going to find this dragon. Because not a lot of adventurers go out looking for possible death. They go out looking for reward. Sorry, I, I now have the image of a dragon who's decided he wants to try to be Batman. <laughs> <laughs> hey, why not? I've, I've got all the equipment. I've got all the gear. I can do it. Because I'm Bat-Dragon. Ah. <laughs> uh, Dragon Man? Uh, but yeah, so they're going to have magic items in their inventory. Maybe even a utility belt. Uh. <laughs> um, and something that's that's come up in 5th edition that's a very interesting uh, touch on the magic flavor is the regional effects. Yes. This is something that's new for 5th edition and really kind of cool in that dragons are the powerful, magical creatures that are so powerful that they warp the world around them. And where they've set up the lair, they start developing these regional effects. Um, in the pre-show, we were looking and talking at the red dragons, which start having, like, the rocks start becoming jagged and random portals to the elemental plane of fire start opening up. And all the water is warm and tainted by the taste of sulfur. And it really adds this nice ambiance and environment and also adds these additional nuances to, okay, you're trying to get to it. You're trying to go kill that red dragon. Well, now you're going to have salamanders and mephits and azers that are showing up and just randomly running around that may run into your party. And when you're at the level where you can handle a dragon, you can handle these things, but they're taking resources that once used up won't be available for that fight with the dragon. Yeah, which just bring you know feeds right back into the previous you know subtopic of minions. You right. got you know all these elemental plane of fire creatures just hanging out, wandering around. Like they might not necessarily work for the red dragon, but they're there because of the red dragon. Uh, so in again, yeah, just the, the the magical flavor. So you don't have to have them you know weaving wish spells or anything like that, but you just have that magical flavor with the regional effects. Granted, if any antagonist has a wish spell available to them, it should probably be a pretty short game. It should be, yes. <laughs> and then also get lends into layer actions for more magical flavor. Dragon, uh, they can uh, summon like different, like green dragons can summon like you know bushes and vines up out of the ground to entangle the party in their lair. And you know there's there's lots of different options there. You know fire dragon or red dragons can you know. Will summon like little spouts of uh, magma to burst out from the ground and uh, uh, clouds of sulfur to to engulf them. One of the ones I kind of like, white dragons, normally not very powerful. Um, if you're facing them in the lair, they can slam the ground and cause these ice stalactites to fall and just crash down left and right, which really just seems like a nice like video game effect almost. Yeah, and that's kind of like I honestly think that's a little bit what they're going for. Not just like I think they're almost forcing, you know, game masters to have flavor in these uh, cinematic environments for these, like, final showdowns, for, you know, your final boss battle. It should be a dramatic, epic battle, you know, it's got to have stuff in there that the players are going to remember. You know, if your players are going in for a fight against the dragon, it's the climax of the campaign, you want this to be a fight that they're going to be tell telling stories about for years. Yeah, and part of me, like, I want to, like, I want to kind of pat you know, Dungeons and Dragons on the back for putting that in the book. And then part of me is also a little sad where it's like, well, I mean, did they feel they had to, like, put that in there? Like, we weren't doing it on our own, but apparently we weren't. Because, again, we're doing this episode on dragons. So I, I really like that, you know, the the 5th edition monster manual spends a lot of time telling you about the monsters and how you can use the monsters instead of just giving you stat card after stat card. 
And so that's one of the things that they add was, you know, these regional effects, these layer actions, and then of course, which leads into also they have legendary actions. So if you, you know, which helps with basically your, um, your action economy. When you're fighting just a single monster and you have a party of, you know, especially like if you have like a, a larger party of like say six or more PCs in a party that are all 14th-ish or higher level, they're all going to have, you know, the fighter's going to have three, four attacks, you know, all, all your melees are, you know, uh, to, uh, users or, or combatants are going to have two plus attacks. Their, you know, their attacks are going to, you know, do a lot of damage. So there's just, there's a lot of actions happening it's within the party. Throwing out spells and summons and spiritual weapons. Action surges. And area effects. Yeah. And, yeah. So there's, there's a lot of actions and different attacks that are coming at the dragon. And the dragon is still just one creature. Depending on how you flavor your combat, I think it's good to throw some other stuff in there. Like have some fire elementals and some salamanders and stuff mixed in there. Not to mention some minions to just flavor your combat. But on the topic of just pure dragons... To help the action economy, we have the legendary action, so they can do it a tail attack or a wing attack. At, you know, at the end of every play, uh, character's action, they can take a legendary action. Yeah, for, for people who weren't aware, legendary actions are a new introduction in 5th edition, which allow powerful creatures to take extra actions during the round in order to help resolve that action economy issue. Yeah, so your dragon's not getting their, you know, three attack, or in 5th edition they get, you know, claw, claw, bite during their, their turn, and then the players all go, and now all of a sudden, 1,600 attacks are coming in at them, and then the dragon might survive two rounds and get two attacks. So Legendary Actions is gonna let, you know, help, you know, kind of uh, even the playing field a little bit, if it's just dragon versus party. So yeah, so pretty much uh, all creatures that I can recall that have Legendary Actions also have Legendary Resistances. Legendary Resistances is a feature in 5th edition where a creature is able to make a save throw, and if they fail, or I mean technically if they pass, but there's no point. If they fail a save throw, they can choose to instead pass it. So I'm pretty sure all dragons uh, that I look that I can recall saw my head have that ability to do that three times a day. So three times per day, they can just take any save throw, which they have good save throws to begin with. They're not going to be failing very often. But they can just choose any save throw that they failed to then instead pass. Which is going to kind of put a damper on a lot of the the wizard and sorcerer, you know, a lot of those spells that are being thrown around at them. I I mean, at first glance, it really does appear like this makes spellcasters useless, but that's not the point. It's mm -hmm. going to make it so the spellcasters don't end the fight immediately. Right. We roll initiative. Wizard wins. Cast finger of death. Fight is over. Right. Um, th the spellcasters will still have attack roll spells. And they'll still be able to do a variety of, of, of buffs, but they just won't be able to end the fight right now until they've burned through all those legendary resistances. Right, yeah. I mean, it makes it so you have to burn some res you know, some resources. I mean, you are going to be burning some resources if you want to be taking out a dragon. It's going to also try to cause, uh, force your spellcasters to... Probably have a plan ahead of time. They're gonna, you know, they're, if they're going after a dragon, I would hope they've done some research. They know a little bit about dragons. They know that they are tough to get through, you know, get spells off on. So it's gonna be one of those where they need to be forcing the dragon to make saves, but they're gonna be trying not to throw out all their best stuff right off the bat, or have an extra one like a throw out three fingers of death, but have a fourth one up their sleeve. You know what I mean? Like I need them to fail three times that they're gonna force themselves to pass because they have to. You know, like maybe they'll just be like, you know what? I know he's got another, you know, I know he's got some more power. This guy seems powerful. 
He might have another finger of death up his sleeve. I'm not going to worry about using a legendary resistance, uh, you know, uh, pass on, you know, this minor little debuff. Like, you know, maybe maybe you put a, a bane on me, whatever. Or he throws out a shatter. Well, I just I'll take the damage. I have the hit points. Yeah. So the the dragons are a very intelligent creature. They're going to know when to try to pick their spots, or they should know when to pick their spots. I mean, obviously it's up to DM play. But they're going to probably choose to take some hits here and there, knowing that there could be more powerful spells up their sleeve that they need to save those, you know, auto pass uh, legendary resistance actions for. You actually, you did bring up something uh, there. Dragons are very intelligent. Yeah, extremely. And a lot of people, as I believe you mentioned earlier, don't play them that way. They just drop into combat and they're just... um, it was you said a giant with wings. Yeah, a giant with wings or just a big beast. Um, yeah. Yeah. So they're going to be smart enough. They're going to look at the fight. And when the wizard throws out a spell that's trying to eat at the, their legendary resistances, oh, that's a spellcaster. Spellcasters are dangerous, but they're not physically powerful. I can now know that he's a priority that I need to kill, where the barbarian in front of me who's raging and yelling and screaming was very interesting to look at isn't necessarily the target I need to be fighting. Right, yeah. You know, even to the point where the dragon might provoke an attack of opportunity, leaving the melee characters to go attack the wizard, threaten the healer, and now all of a sudden your party's battle plan is falling apart. Right, yes. Yeah, they're going to drop down, or I mean, not they're going to drop down, but they're going to, you know, when they engage the fight, they're going to assess the situation. They're going to go, you're, you're priority number one, you're priority number two, I got to watch out for this on you, and then the rest of you are nothing. Uh, you know, I, as long as I take out these three, the rest of you are, are not going to be a challenge. As a group, you're all challenging, but if I can take out one, two, and then three, then the last four, five, six, whatever there are, however many there are, whatever, you know. Once I take out the wizard, the cleric, and the druid, I can just, you know, sit here and, and beat up on some fighters and, and yeah. some rogues. Yeah, and, and like one-on-one, a rogue isn't a threat. Yeah, the, the biggest danger of the rogue is he's going to get away. Yeah, I mean, he can do some spike damage, you know, assuming he has some magic weapons, you know, or some tricks up his sleeve, you know. you know, Like, I wouldn't count them out as the ability to do some damage, but dragons have hit points. Dragons have high ACs. Dragons have resistances. Dragons can take a hit. And... You know, the thief cannot. <laughs> and, and for 5th for edition as well, uh, a thief or a rogue character is more effective as part of a group. If you put a rogue on their own, they lose uh, a large amount of their ability to do the sneak attacks, mm-hmm. which is really going to limit the amount of damage they can do. They yeah. only get one attack per round, and they rely on those sneak attack dice to bump up the damage of that attack so it fits with the fighter doing two, three, four attacks per round. Right. If you take away that... You know, that option of doing the sneak attack because your enemy has a hostile target engaged with it, then all of a sudden they're not doing much of anything. Yeah, yeah, it's totally true. Uh, and the dragon would know all that. Yeah, exactly. And the dragon would know all that because it ain't his first rodeo. He's, you know, I'm sure there's been a few other parties that have come along trying to make a name for themselves. He and is a rodeo veteran. Yes. <laughs> um, and he really gets his bonus on all the parties that came in there and thought they could wing it. Yeah. Because the party needs to have a battle plan. We're doing this show so that you can, as a DM, can run dragons that your party has to have a battle plan to deal with. Right. If if your players are winging dragons, you need to be taking notes right now about what we're talking about. Um, One of the biggest, biggest advantages that a dragon has um, that we probably should have gotten into earlier, but is just something to bring up for DMs to keep in mind, and that is the Frightful Presence. Yes. 
Frightful Presence. Very scary ability. Ha ha ha. Um, 120 foot range, you know, on, um, I think it's consistent for the range. On an ancient uh, red dragon, 120 foot range, it can affect any creature it chooses within that range. So it doesn't even have to hit the, the party right off the bat, but any creature, which also means you can have all its kobold followers or all its minions hanging around without it having to worry about pissing themselves. Um, but you can have, uh, any cre again, any creature it chooses to affect within 120 foot range has to make a wisdom save throw on an ancient red dragon. It's a DC 21 wisdom save. It varies depending on the dragon type and their age category. Uh, but ancient red dragon 21 DC wisdom save. If it fa if it's failed, then the character that fails the saving throw is frightened for one full minute, which is ten rounds of combat. And your players shouldn't have legendary resistances to yeah. make those saves. Or they might have a paladin in the group that will help, but still, a 21 wisdom save can be tricky to make. Not everyone's got a huge uh, wisdom save. Not everyone's got proficiency in wisdom. You know, so, yeah, a 21's, that's a, that's a, dec that's a challenge, challenging role to make. You know, you can get lucky. You know, you, maybe you got some good pluses, but, but still. And if you're frightened, you know, the frightened condition, it makes it so you are no longer able to willfully uh, move towards the, the target of what caused you to be frightened. So if you're still 100 feet away from the dragon, you can no longer move any closer to that dragon. You can move away from it. You can move laterally. You know, you can keep yourself at that 100-foot mark and move, you know, sidestep. But you're not closing the gap. And you have a disadvantage on any and all attacks that are going at that dragon. As if it even needed that. So if all of a sudden you're the barbarian at 100 feet and you fail your, your, your frightful presence roll... You're stuck at 100, foot, 100 feet with your giant greatsword in your hand just swinging in air, missing, doing nothing. Or maybe you're throwing rocks at it at disadvantage. Uh, go find a minion. <laughs> I'm going to go back to fighting the kobolds. You guys handle yeah, the dragon. Yeah, I got all the kobolds. Don't worry about them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a scary ability. It's, a, it's something yeah. to, to have to deal with. And, again, if your players are planning for it, you know, if they have a paladin in the party or they have a cleric casting a fear ward... Or calm emotions, I think, might be able to help with it. Yeah, bless. They're, those are abilities that they are not using to actively be killing the dragon. Right. <coughs> Sorry. Yeah, there's, but again, if they're preparing for Frightful Presence, then it won't be as big a deal. And that's just one more reason that, like, characters should be preparing to deal with the dragon. Dragons, in my opinion, should not be random encounters. You know, if a, if a PC stumbles on a dragon that has been planned on being there the whole time, that's a different, you know, scenario. But you shouldn't just be all of a sudden, you know, they're camping in this ancient red dragon. It's just like, oh, hey, look over there. I'm going to go kill those guys. Unless you're, you know, a really spiteful DM. But if they can prepare, then they can, you know, have potions that will bump up their wisdom save throw. They can have, you know, some blesses on the party and give them some extra bonuses. They can make sure they're all within 10 feet of the paladin when that aura goes off. So, you know, they can they can try to prepare for it and, and you know, and take and, and ready themselves for that situation, which will make it so they'll probably pass their save. But there's still a chance that one person will still fail. And if one person fails, it still throws everything off. So we have one more point that we wanted to hit on, um, and this applies more to earlier editions than to fifth edition. Um, but of course, as the DM, you can say that I like this. It's a rule in my world and this is the way it works. And that is the ability of dragons innately to polymorph. Right, yes. Um, a lot of stories and stuff will use dragons polymorphed into a human or humanoid form and actively working 
behind the scenes or as kind of a subtle manipulator to use that because you have just this ordinary person walking around not knowing that they're actually this ancient red ancient red dragon or ancient gold dragon or is it this powerful beast that we spent this past show talking about how amazing and wonderful and powerful they are and now they just look like everybody else. Yeah, being able to polymorph. In 5th edition, the metallic dragons can still polymorph, but the chromatic dragons can't. So there's still some options for play there. In previous editions, all dragons can polymorph. I'm pretty sure. I don't know 4th edition very well. Um, 3.5, I'm pretty sure they all could. I think there's an edition where like only like the stronger dragons could, so like the red and gold dragons could, maybe silver and blue, uh, but like the white dragon couldn't and stuff like that. But yeah, so it's it's up to you. Who you want to be able to polymorph, you're the DM, you have final say. But if you do have them polymorphing, it opens up another whole branch of things you can do with your dragon. You can have them polymorph and take the position of someone important in a town. Uh, you can have them, you know, manipulating things behind the scenes. I mean, there's dragons can always manipulate behind the scenes as a dragon, as this powerful, giant, scary thing. But if all of a sudden they can pose as your, you know, unimposing... The, you know, take the place of the mayor. Like, I won the vote. I'm the mayor of this town now. I'm going to just slowly start steering them over towards this agenda over here. Yep. Start thwarting adventurers over there. Oh, the adventurers show up. I'm going to send the city guard just to detain them while we investigate what's going on. And while, you know, the rogue or the barbarian might not go along with that, how does the paladin say no to a guardsman with an arrest warrant saying, I need you to come with me, sir? Right. Yes. So, I mean, it opens up a lot of options. Uh, an idea that I had when we were talking about Polymorph um, before we started, you know, in the pre-show was to have a, like, a red dragon polymorphed and infiltrate the party. To, you know, to insert himself as some sort of hireling. You know, maybe he's posing as, like, a mercenary that gets hired on. Or maybe he's random Joe Schmo that needs some assistance. And, hey, can you help me save my wife? Or poses as some sort of, you think he's like a little mini quest giver or some sort of like escort quest where like you need to take him somewhere or you're helping him, assisting him with something. But all of a sudden in the middle of the night, you know, while the party's sleeping and, and not waiting, you know, not expecting a dragon attack, all of a sudden he turns back into his dragon form and decides to cook the party. I mean, if you want to TPK a party, that's the way you can do it. You know, it's a cheap shot. But red dragons aren't going to be above taking cheap shots. Yeah, I mean, they're, again, they're intelligent. They're, they have no remorse. They're tactically sound. They're going to take, you know, there is there is no fair. They're going to take any and all, you know, uh, precautions. They're going to take any and every advantage that they can. And if you have a paladin in the party, then that aura, the, the, that divine sense they can kick off multiple times a day would alert them to the presence yeah. of the dragon in the group. So it's one of those, like, there are ways that they could find out there's a dragon amongst them. But at the same time, like, it would be really cool to have all of a sudden, like, this, this dragon just inserted itself into, maybe you want to set up an elaborate uh, prologue. Maybe you have the party creates all these first level characters, and then this guy inserts himself into the group, and you torch them in the middle of the night. Next session, you can create a whole new set of characters, and it turns out that they just played through the prologue, and now they're playing the real characters for the quest that they have to go and hunt down and find out what happened to this other group of adventurers. Maybe there's some innocent people in there as well, some random town folk. They have to do some investigation to find out that it was a young, uh, you know, not even an adult or an ancient, but like this young red dragon that was just 
having some fun. And all of a sudden the party just played through prologue. I mean, I know it's kind of a dirty trick to just TPK the party in the middle of the night, but I think there's some interesting play that you could do with the, the polymorph in there. And that's just an idea that I just popped up off the top of my head. No, no, no. I like it. I like it. So um, I think that's about where we're going to wrap it up for this. There's there's a lot going on with dragons. There's a lot more you can do, uh, but we're going to leave you to discover some of those. Yeah. So thank you for joining us for our show today. As always, if you have any comments on today's topics or any stories you'd like to share about how you used it in your game, feel free to get in touch with us. Also, if there's anything you'd like to hear us discuss, let us know. Uh, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Game Master Studio. Subscribe for exclusive access to early content and also a few other special surprises and tricks we've been putting up there. You can get in touch with us on Twitter. We are GMS Studios, uh, available on Facebook for you to like, comment, and subscribe. And we have new episodes coming out every week with more information on running your game. We're posting them on Podbean at GameMasterStudio.Podbean.com through iTunes and available now on YouTube as well. Speaking of YouTube, check out our Darkhounds 360 VR campaign. Watch us play through, use the tips that you see here, and occasionally miss an opportunity. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your support. And we'll see you the next time that we get back into the studio.